Hello and welcome to this month's edition of Here's the Thing. I just want to say happy Christmas because this will be going out in December. So happy Christmas. I hope you are looking forward to the festive season. I am here with my friend, uh, Linda Nesbitt, who we have taken the pod on the road, Belfast tonight, which is the furthest the pod's ever went. So Linda, you're very welcome to Here's the Thing. I thought you were introducing somebody else first too, because I know I kind of answer to Linda Bryant these days. Maybe you know me from her previous life, do you? I'll just call you Linda, sure. Yeah. Um, Linda, let's talk Christmas. So people listening right now are currently probably watching Home Alone and Muppets Christmas Carol. Yeah. If you have a pile of snacks available and you've got a free schedule in the evening and you're going to stick a Christmas movie on, what's it going to be and why? Okay, uh, easy one. Love, actually. And I know people say, you know, people turn up their noses and say, no, no, you should be watching, you know, Die Hard or whatever. Um, but no, I love actually. I always, I always love that living room. I don't think um, Naughty Holder and Slade would fit in here, to be honest. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, do you know, I, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm stuck on that. I mean, I quite, I love Christmas. I really do like Christmas. Love the Christmas songs, Christmas vibe and everything. But, you know, sometimes people put their Christmas decorations up like before Halloween, I'm not okay with that. If I made the law, you would put your Christmas tree up and and not buy any Christmas present, not even mention Christmas until about a week before Christmas. Is that when the Linda tree goes up? A week yeah. before Christmas? Wow, well, what about those first three weeks of December? Uh, it's not Christmas until... And I just point out, my dad and mum will probably be listening. Like the Caldwell family Christmas tree goes up the day after my birthday, which is the 24th of November. So they get a good month out of it. That's that's good. Is it a real tree? No, because be looking like a skeleton at the end. Um, your favourite, like I'm just imagining a big massive table of Christmas food. Like what's your favourite Christmas food on the table item? Like yeah. I, I'm just going to tell you mine. I could just take a bowl of stuffing. I mean, I'd be good Love with it. everything else. I'd just hand me a bowl of stuffing and I'd be happy. I do like the stuffing, bread sauce. And that's a funny thing, because I think it's a peculiarly English thing, bread sauce. And I don't know why, but I, I, I just, I love the bread sauce with gravy. I make my own gravy. Now, here's the thing. I do make my own Christmas gravy probably a couple of months in advance. What? Yeah. And then I put it in the freezer, and uh, then come Christmas, I've got, like, ready-made. And I have, if, even if I say it myself, mops to all. I have it's brilliant Christmas gravy. Okay. Yeah. So, folks, we, we may post um, Linda's very own gravy recipe on the on our stories coming up to Christmas. Uh, Linda, what are you hoping for for Christmas this year? And that's just a wide question. It can be a specific item from a friend. It can be something from the Secret Santa and work. It can be a white Christmas and Christmas Day. What's your Christmas wish, 2023? Do you know, wouldn't it be lovely to have a white Christmas? Like, the climate's just getting so warm and... Um, you know, like September, October, we're kind of warm, one month. Um, I, I can't remember the last time we had a really crispy, cold, snowy winter, December, you know. Um, sometimes you get weather like that in, in, in January and February, but they're miserable months. So yeah, why not wish for a white Christmas? Yes, white Christmas year. That'd be lovely. Folks first, white Christmas is here. Linda, I'm so delighted to catch up with you. We have probably haven't had a conversation in about that. 10 years and so what a what a catch up this on the podcast but now we, we've been speaking for about an hour but yeah. so it's the like fun too yes glad we didn't record some of that stuff and um, linda tell me i i just want the the listeners to get a to get a bit of a flavor of your life a bit about what you do a bit about some of the battles you faced tell us let me start at the start tell us about your childhood where you grew up where you went to school etc you sound like my psychiatrist tell me about your childhood that's right <laughs> <laughs> well, I was born in Southfield in County Down, and um, I don't live too far from Southfield now. Um, but uh, always been a County Down girl. I went to school in Southfield, and then went to the uh, tech. We used to call it tech, the college in Balnehinch, and um, and then I started working after that. Um, and you know, a lot of people say, "Well, how'd you get into broadcasting? How'd you get into that?" Of all, I I never really had any kind of um aspirations to, to, to be a broadcaster or anything like that. It was kind of an accidental career. Um, so I, I um, basically I did a secretarial course um, at college and uh, I 
worked in um, a job agency, you know, they had like a, a, you know, casual work. And they sent me to various offices, etc. One of those offices was UTV. And I worked in the newsroom of UTV for like a whole summer. And it was really good fun. Really fun. Lovely, lovely people in UTV back in the day. It was Ulster Television back then. And uh, the work ran out there. And then I thought, you know what, this this is a really nice career. This is a nice um, place to work. Maybe the BBC will have work. And I went right to the BBC. It wasn't quite the same. It was much more competitive and a bit, you know, bigger place and not quite as friendly. But actually, the, I find my niche there because, um, you know, broadcasting's not a proper job, really. It's fun, you know, it's really good. Um, but then I kind of went, went from one thing to another. And, um, you know, in all my life, Steve, has kind of been opportunity, taking opportunities rather than aiming for something and going for it and getting it. Um, so even being on, on this side of the microphone, um, I never really had any aspiration to do that. I suppose secretly, you know, when people think, you know, I'd love to do that. Sometime I wonder, you know, I'd love to read the news or whatever, but I never seriously thought I would ever do that. But one day, as I was sitting in my office being a secretary, and a, a, a memo came around in the days well before emails. <laughs> this memo came around to all the staff and it said, you know, we're looking for new voices on the radio to read the news and to do continuity on Radio Ulster. And if anybody wants to um, do a voice test, please apply. Um, and so I did. And I think there was like 98 people or like six people applied and they did these voice tests over the course of a couple of weeks. And amazingly, I was one of the people chosen. There was, I think six people were chosen and I was one of them. So again, it was an opportunity. It was just something that was presented to me. And I thought, I'll have a go at that. Um, so a lot of my career has been like that. Just people saying, would you fancy doing this? Or why don't you try that? putting the idea into my head, I suppose. Now, somebody told me recently, I've got a voice for radio. You're kind of making it so, like, I, I took that as a real, like, yeah criticism. No, 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 no that, that's the comfort, absolutely. Because I, I think you and I both could. The criticism is if they tell you you've got a face for radio. But you don't, no, you have, you, you do, I was listening to your podcast. I've been listening to your podcast and you have, you've got a lovely timbre to your voice. So there's a word for me. Wrong. Timbre, yeah. A lovely tone to your voice. You should think. Here's a really random question I didn't really want to ask, but do you think you and I would have good voices to be the person on the sad now? <laughs> Who do you think would be more suited to me or you? I see the human. I don't know. I mean, you've got a kind, patient voice. If, like I was trying to find, like, I don't know, off my hour somewhere. And <laughs> I put it in the car that you would be, yeah. Yes. <laughs> at the third exit. <laughs> at the third exit, take a lap. <laughs> no, I don't think I could do it. Um, no, and my my sat nav or you know my Siri on my phone is an Irish guy. He sounds like Graham Norton. Oh, yeah. Can you do that? Do you want me to show me? Oh, you You can change your your Siri. You know, you can have it a woman, a male, or female, and you can have an accent. We'd have an Australian Surrey if you want. Uh, or you could have an English Surrey. Morgan Freeman. I don't know if that's an option, but it should be. <laughs> it should be. You can have a Hugo Duncan's not love. You can. Yeah. Oh, what interest, Andy. <laughs> um, you were telling me a bit about your life and opportunities. Can it just take you back to teenage life? Um, one of the past things about our podcast is there is a lot of teenagers who still listen to podcasts. Um, which is great. Hi, teenagers who listen to this podcast. Sure, of a pressure these these days. But no, uh, my, my teenage years were, were good. And I, I remember just wanting to be old enough to work a Saturday job so I could earn some money. I've always been very independent, you know. Um, I am even now still quite an independent person. <laughs> As you can see right now, I've got my arm in a plaster cast. And a pink, well, so that's a pink letter. Barbie. So I read, a, I read a quote the other day and it said the biggest thing missing from teenagers' lives these days is the presence of a caring adult. Would you would you say you had that being a teenager? Was that maybe not even the thing? I did have I, That hit me hard and I know that yeah. maybe a lot of teenagers listening and thinking to themselves actually that spot on. Yeah. Would you, would you have had that sort of people used to guide you through teenage life into the working world? 
Yeah. Well, you know, you have your mum and dad, but your mum and dad have a place, don't they? And they're maybe not the sort of persons you want to talk to about certain things that, you know, it's a unique relationship that you would have with your mum and dad that you would want to talk to them maybe about more intimate things or whatever. So, um, yeah, a caring adult, and you know, for, for, for me, that might have been, um, you know, some of the adults that I worked in my Saturday job with, um, or maybe, um, you know, people people in my wider wider family circle um but i i can identify with that now because as a as a teacher now i um you know we, we have tutorial once a week with, with each of our students um and i think it's just important to let young people know that look no matter what it is there's nothing you can tell me that's going to shock me that i have not heard before you know it's so important that you know that this is a safe space. You can say whatever you want to say, whatever issues you have, whatever's troubling you. That sometimes they are, you know, pretty tough things in life to navigate. Sometimes they're just issues that actually are quite easily reconcilable and easily um, solved. But it just sometimes you're in your in your problems, in your in the fog that goes on around your life, you can't quite see a way out. Um, so yeah, and that's that's um, that's a really interesting thing that you you. you I want to know what the personality job was. I want to know what it was because I'm listening to you talk and I'm thinking I cannot imagine Linda doing a paper round or working in a chippy. Is it either of those things? I did work in a chippy. Did you? Yeah. Oh, I did work in a chippy. Yeah. So we did. Did you say salt and vinegar? <laughs> Tell me about working in a chippy. I did work in a chippy. So it was, I suppose it was the nearest thing Carrie Duff had to a delicatessen, all right? Carrie Duff back in the day had only a fraction of the houses that you see there now. And Carrie Duff was, um, the, 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 the main kind of highlight of Carrie Duff was the Carrie Duff Shopping Centre. <laughs> um, which is now, I think, is there a Domino's or something down there? There's like a, a eight site, the restaurant is there. But that was all little independent shops at one time. There was a boutique there. There was a hardware shop, you know. Um, and there was a spa downstairs, it was a bakery, and on one side there was a shop that sold fresh fish and chicken and things like that, and potted herring. Uh, <laughs> it was my job to make potted herrings every Saturday morning. And uh, then at lunchtime and in the evening, we would do like pies and chips and battered fish and that kind of a thing, yeah. So, yeah, I have had my share of, do you want salt and vinegar with that? Like, I always struggle at the tippy they don't put enough on. Did you did you put enough on back in the day? Um, like, when I say salt vinegar, I want a generous helper. <laughs> well, like, you know, it wasn't top of my priority list to, you know, I, I just put what I thought was right. But that was my first job. But then I moved on from that to something a little less fragrant, let's say, a little more fragrant. Um, I was a, a, a junior in a hairdresser's shop. Again, carried off round the corner. <laughs> there was a hair salon, and um, it was in the days of, um, you know, Wednesdays they would have Pensioners' Day, where a pensioner could get a champagne set for three pounds fifty, and purple winces and pink winces and things. It'd be very trendy nowadays. But anyway, I was there washing people's hair, brushing the floor, doing all of that, making tea, coffee for clients, etc. And uh, the tips were good, better than when you're serving fish and chips. So, Linda, take us to the start of your career in broadcasting. What was it like? Mm-hmm. You mentioned you, you spent a summer and then you really, doors opened. What was it like starting out there? Um, well, um, so it was very good fun. It was an exciting kind of time, I think, as well. Um, and, and, you know, my interest in journalism was kind of starting to peak then as well. Um, so I worked in the newsroom of the BBC as a copy typist. Um, I don't even think that position exists anymore. Basically, it's someone who types. And back in the day, they got their uh, news from. These days, you would, um, you know, you'd, you'd email it in or you'd um, send it in um, or, or phone it on your mobile phone or whatever. You know. um, mostly email from from uh, journalists around. Um, but Back in the day, they had to um, phone up on a landline and you would put this headset on and uh, 
a journalist, maybe a stringer, somebody who worked for a newspaper down in Tulane or a Fermanagh, you know, maybe there'd be a bomb along the border or something like that. And they would be down there reporting for the local paper, but they would phone it into the BBC. And you'd put the headset on and say, you know, right, who's your, what's your name and number, debt, debt, et cetera. And um, then you would, they would take the story down the phone to you and you'd type it. And you'd give that story then. It would be a big, long story. You'd give that to the news editor who would give it to a journalist to sub and, and write it for television or for radio or whatever the, the medium was that it was going out on. So I don't even think a copy type of thing exists anymore. You know, I work in Q Radio on the weekends. Um, and, you know, there's just one or two people in the newsroom and all this news just comes in from an email, an electronic source, you know, and, and you just amend it to suit. It's not, it's, it's just not like that anymore. Anyway, it was, a, so it was a really exciting time. And one of our most troubled time was in, in our, uh, local history because it was 1980, 81 and the hunger strikes were all, so you can only imagine, you know, what the news was every day. It was about hunger strikers being, um, you know, about to die or dying. And, you know, so many of those young young men in, in, in prison uh, died. And it was a volatile time. And, you know, parts of Belfast were um, noisy and rioting. And, you know, women would come out and bang bin lids on the ground to let people in the, in the area know what was happening. And, it was so very different. You tell that to people now, you know, and you kind of had to be there to remember that kind of thing, you know. And um, thank God we're at a very, very different place now. So it was very exciting, but a, a dangerous time as well. And Can you? Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you. I mean, tell me, tell me the big news events that stick out in your mind in your journalist career. I'm sure we could talk about that about this, but what are the really big ones? Yeah. Well, all, all of those times I would have been working behind the scenes at that point, you know, and um, things like the hunger strikes and that one sticks in my mind because it was a big news event that I was thrown right into my very first job um, as, as a, a, a typist. Um, but, you know, all the way through there have been, um, I suppose for that, you know, for the latter part of my career, it was all about politics, political talks and um, talks about talks and you know that whole slow journey to peace and of course since that of course we've not ha- had a, a much of a, a government and it's been you know you look back and you think so, so many people actually went out on a limb for peace for um uh, to set up a, a, a government here to to you know be autonomous in their decision making to make life better for so many people and where are we now we you know, we're languishing and so many people are struggling because that whole um, relationships have broken down. You know, politics is about relationships. Were you in behind the scenes of Spaniardi, Spaniardi too? Remember much about that there? Um, Northern Ireland? I probably was, but see, I know we were talking football here, actually. Football, probably. Uh, yeah, better, better, better for me. Um, yeah, Spain 82, um, I was, I think, working in religious programs in the BBC, perhaps. Um, so I wasn't working on news or sport or anything at that point, no. Um, but yeah, that was an exciting time too. When were you born, do you remember? I was born, yes, just about, believe it or not, Christmas-themed-wise, I was born the year Vandied. First Vandied came out, I was Christmas number one when I was born. Wow. 1984. When, um... Oh, it was live at the one that was that when Bob Geldof swore on TV and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To imagine. <laughs> That's what you're so sh- Yeah, 1984, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm keen to hear, so obviously you've been in journalism for most of your adult life. How did you, how did you manage what were your levels of awareness like in terms of your mental health? How did you... In these days, all the all the terms like self care, boundaries, switching your phone off, taking time out, filling up your own bucket. Tell me, tell me about mental health and working in in your feet. Yeah, well, um, work actually had a lot to do with um, a breakdown in my mental health um, many years ago. Um, 
Sorry, I'm shifting on this chair. Sorry, I know I'm sad. Weird noise. It's just it's another sofa. Um, yeah, so work had um, quite a bearing on my mental health when I was. So there was a point in my career when I I, I went to London to work, you know, and and that was like things were looking up for me, and I was going to London to work in a big network program, etc. And um, and you know, while things were good. And I was working really, really hard. And and mental health was not something that I really gave a second thought to. It wasn't really a, a thing in my life. And I'm 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 always ashamed to say, you know, that it, it just it didn't figure, you know. I I always, Steve, would have been and I have continued to be someone who's um, you know, glass half full. Um, uh, just very happy to have a glass, you know. <laughs> um, you know, one of those kind of optimists. Like, I would always see the positive side of things. Whereas, uh, you know, some people would worry and think, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? Those kind of things would never have figured in my life. And it was all, always a very positive outlook. So, anyway, I was working in London, working very hard, traveling around the country. And um, everybody, it seemed like everybody wanted a piece of me, you know, because. My career was on the rise, so all these producers were coming in saying, would you do this program? Can we put your name to my proposal? Can we do, you know, can we use you? Would you like to present our program? And, um, you know, it's very flattering, but it's, it was also a lot of demands on me because at that time as well, I was pregnant with our first son. Um, and so we are talking here like 28 years ago. So it's a, it's a long time ago. However... And it, it just all became too much. And um, combination of working so much, um, that plus traveling back and forward to London. And then the house that we're in now recording this, um, we Mike and I had just bought this house and we had builders who renovated the house for us. Um, and we, well, it, it, it all went wrong, but let's say the builders basically did did the renovations badly, wrongly. We ended up taking them to court um, or at least beginning legal proceedings um, and that was an added stress as well. And at that point for me, um, I was about to give birth and about two or three months before our baby was due, I knew something was not right with my head. I knew that, uh, you know, my, my head kind of had zoned out I was um, just almost escaping in my head. You know, work was still happening. All of that was still happening, but I wasn't processing it in my head. I, I since I've since um, learned that it's a term called depersonalizing, depersonalization. I was kind of stepping out of that situation and and not really taking it taking it on board. Not feeling that I was not a part of my own life and feeling that I was not a part of the conversation. My concentration went. Yeah, you know, I couldn't. I couldn't focus on things that stories that I was researching or whatever. And this is, you know, uh, antenatal. This is before our baby was born, because you know I'm sure people have heard of um, postnatal depression and and baby blues, all of that kind of thing. This was before the baby was born, which would have been most unusual. And I remember speaking to my obstetrician at that time, um, the lovely Jim Dornan, Jamie Dornan's daddy, right. That's why Claire to fight. Anyway, I spoke to Jim Doran and um, he said, "Oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe you're worried about uh, about the baby, and you know, everything's fine. You know, baby's growing well, daddy, da." Um, but I knew it was more than that, you know. Anyway, bless him, you know. As I come up to Christmas, PJ was born in January, and at Christmas time, Jim, I think, realised that there was something wrong. And, you know, it was like I came to him and I was like glazed to look at the lights were on, but nobody was voting here. And um, he, he knew that this was not the same woman that came to him six months ago, all excited because the baby was, you know, about to be boy. Um, so he then um, <clears throat> put the wheels in motion. My GP got involved, etc. And I could put a name to this thing that I was feeling and it was clinical depression. Now, that is the first time I've ever, ever on my radar that clinical depression was ever 
mentioned in 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 my life, and I'm I'm ashamed to say that you know because it's not a new thing. Depression has been with us for millennia, you know. Um, but I didn't it didn't really figure with me until I I had it myself. Um, and I suppose once you have it, you never forget it. It changes it forever. And how did was that like a new lens in your life to look through? How did, how did knowing that you had it affect your life? Obviously, you, you said before that last story you told us that things were going awesomely well for you. Did you, did you once you had that sort of diagnosis, did, did it change the way your attitude to work? Did it change your attitude to family? What what changed about your life from knowing that you had a, a diagnosis? Well, sorry, I'd have to say it. Um, so what changed about my life, knowing that I had a diagnosis of clinical depression? Um, first of all, I was glad that there was a name for it because I thought I was going mad. I thought I was losing my mind. Um, but what changed about my life was I came back to Belfast and PJ, our elder boy, was born. And um, I just had to reevaluate everything because I still had these producers in London saying, you know, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? And I'm thinking, I never want to go back because that place had bad memories for me now, you know. I did eventually, but I didn't go back full time. I went back to, to work part time on this, that and the other. Um, but what changed in terms of my life was I found out all that I could about depression. And, you know, back then, you, you, you probably wouldn't have uh, a knowledge of it because it's, it is a long time ago, but nobody talked about mental health. There was a massive stigma about mental health back in the day. Um, and the baby books that I would look at, because postnatal depression, I'd heard of that. Um, but all that the baby the baby books mentioned was, you may feel a little bit low. If this happens, go and see your doctor. There was nothing else like that. Nothing that explained to me, how do I do the self-care thing how do I help myself how do I get out of this deep dark hole where I am how do I um, get me back again because I felt that a major part of me was missing um, and I, I wanted I just wanted me back again so as time went on and I, I was able to find out more about mental health I went to a psychiatrist and the wonderful Dr. Philip McGarry was my psychiatrist and I went to him for a very long time. Um, and he really helped me to understand what it was and that you know, there was a chemical imbalance there, maybe um, triggered by events or chronic um, stress and pressure, etc., whatever, but um, that actually you can and you will get better. The one person who I owe my life to is a woman called Liz who sadly isn't with us anymore, Liz passed away. Liz was a, a, a CPA, a community psychiatric nurse in East Belfast, and Liz came out to see me every other day for the first, you know, few weeks. And, and then, you know, reduced it to weekly and then fortnightly. But Liz, I remember crying with her, and, and she, you know, she, she took my face in her hands and she said, Linda, look at me. You believe me, you will get better. You will get over this. You will get better. You'll be yourself again. Um, and uh, I had to believe that. She saved my life. I truly believe that she saved my life because I was so, so low, really low. Um, and I mean, obviously I had a new baby and, and you know, you can't talk about mental health and, and, clinical depression without talking about, sadly, so many people do take their own lives, you know. And um, I knew that I was not going to go down that road. I didn't want to do that. However, if I'd accidentally been killed in a big car accident or something, I thought that was probably going to be a, a a satisfactory outcome for everybody. Because, you know, you do, you, you, you tend to think that you're a burden on everybody. You're a a nuisance, you know, you're worthless, you're nothing, you're worthless, you know, and that's the way I felt all the way through that. But Liz told me 
that I would get better. And that gave me hope. And hope is the main thing that you need whenever you um, are in that very dark place. You need hope that you will get better. Yeah. And gold for people like Liz. Oh, amazing. An amazing woman. Yeah. So I just want to chat to you about the stigma. I, I mean, the reason why I'm here, the reason why there's a podcast, the reason why I have a social media account where mental health is the name of the game. I mean, I, I feel quite emotional listening to you because I fast forward to the last 10 years of my life. I have felt alone struggling with my mental health. And I, I'd lay in my bed and answer and talk. There is absolutely nobody else in this time who feels like I do, who think the things that I think. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm really feeling for you. You telling me then, whenever you're having mm-hmm. you're having your first child, that there was the stigma. And I, I'm just so passionate about breaking the stigma in 2023. And, and I don't know how to do it, Linda, to be honest. And I think people think because you have a, a mental health podcast and you have occasionally written an article that's been printed on on social media that you that you know how to do it. I don't really know how to do it. If most of the time I'm winging it, most of the time I'm sending texts to friends. I'm going, "Hey Linda, how are you? Yeah, cool, chilly for June." And I'm writing back, "I'm really struggling with mental health this weekend. I know it's Christmas. I know we all should be wearing Christmas jumpers and feeling awesome, but I'm feeling really low." And if, if anything, I think I've shared on a previous podcast for me, I've just become quite good at making it initially awkward because it can be awkward because yeah. you and I meet each other in Starbucks and, you know, Belfast. It's maybe not going to be the first thing I say to you is, you know, hey, Linda, I'm having a really crappy day here. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, it's Christmas. So I don't, I don't mean that I try to force the conversation about mental health. I just tried to make it normal in my friendships, in my family. And and the initial conversation can be quite difficult, especially yeah. in men, like especially. Oh yeah, definitely. That's a we crowd. We just want to talk about the match. We just want yeah. here for someone to. But you know, it's it's great because so many football teams, um, you know, the GAA and um, Irish Irish League football, um, and rugby. You know, so many, you know, men, um, who would never have talked like that before, are actually now coming out and, and, and speaking about it. There's so many people who actually are doing it now. And if that's all it is, it's just that, um, you know, I, I don't know why, I mean, why is there still this stigma about mental health? Why do you think it is? I, I think for me, for in my life, I felt the shame. Yeah. Because I think, I mean, you're sitting talking to me with a broken arm. I think it's... I mean, I work in a school. You you worked in education too. I think it's I think it's genuinely easier to go into work tomorrow and say I slipped and broke my arm than it is for me to go. I didn't I didn't come from under the bed flues all weekend. I felt yeah. so low. So the only answer I can give you is that I've often felt ashamed because I feel like I shouldn't feel this way. I feel like you know, come on, man, slap yourself out of it. Yeah, you know, like you can do something. Like, yeah, like like you know. Yeah, so I, my answer for my life is I I have often felt the same. So I have had to let go of the idea that you sh- there's any shame connected to mental illness that you should not feel the same. If anything, you should be extremely proud of yourself for having the strength to actually to actually have an organic conversation with someone about how you're doing. And it might not necessarily be a psychiatrist or a therapist, or a GP. It might just be your mate. It might just be over a WhatsApp. It might just be him feeling really raw. And actually, you should be proud of your strength for that. Exactly. Um, I want I want to ask you, so I just waffled on about how I've, how I've tried in the last sort of 10 years or so since we knew each other from my past life in the inverted commas. How have you tried to break the stigma in things you've been involved in. I know you're involved in loads of different things and um, maybe outside of your work. But how name, name me some of the things you're involved in, some of the things you've spoken at um that you've been involved in to try and break the stigma surrounding mental health. Well, I have um I would speak to women's groups or health conferences. I mean, anybody asks me to speak, you know, I, I'm very happy to go out there and tell my story. And, you know, if it helps one person to identify with me, with what I went through, 
um, and how I felt. And a bit like Liz did to, to me, you know, I want to pay that forward. I want to say, you know what, I felt exactly the way you feel now. Here's my story. And a lot of people do identify with it. And I knew that because people come up to me afterwards and, um, you know, because you shared with them, they then want to share their story with you. Um, so it can be very hard to get out of a place once you've spoken. Yeah, because um, everybody you know, wants to come up and, and, and say that happened to me in such and such a time, you know, and this is what happened. Because they do feel that they have to then tell you to identify, you know, so you can identify back. Um, but I've had people come up to me and say, you know what you were talking about about that depersonalization about um you know not not being able to concentrate etc that was me it was almost as if you were talking about me up there um so i know it is a thing i know it exists and i know that people many people identify with it even if it gets to one person who will say you know what she got better and i can get better too and I, the reason why I started speaking out about it was I was on TV at the time. And people look at you on TV, you know, and there's this kind of image of, you know, someone who's like really in control and and sort of got life sorted, you know, your uh, gold authority. There's a, there's a certain image comes with a news anchor. Um, and the truth is, when I was on screen in London, um, as a, a, a news and current affairs reporter and presenter, I was a mess. There was Steve. I was not that in control person who knew exactly what they were doing and questioning people and, and uh, journalism and analysis. I was not that person. I couldn't. I just was not capable of it. Um, but my always my message is I got better and I am that person now. I can do that job now if, you know, if I needed to. But... Um, you'll get better too. You know, to temporary. It's like, so you mentioned, you know, my arm is in a Barbie pink cast uh, right now. And um, I I just, I slipped on a, on, a, on a slippery pavement in Birmingham. I, you know, it was, there was nothing I could have done about it. I fell uh, and, um, you know, spent the night in Birmingham City Accident um, Emergency Department and, um, you know, felt, thoroughly sorry for myself, you know, and quite incapacitated, you know. You ever tried washing your hair with one arm, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, hey, try, you know, it's, it's, oh, you have to ask people to cut your food up for you because you can't, get, you know, eat with a fork, you know. <laughs> so, you know, you do have to depend on other people whenever you have a limb that's not working properly. But people look at that and they think, well, this is only temporary, you know, when do you get your cast off? Another few weeks, I should be fine then. And I know I will be. You can't say the same with your mental health. It's only temporary that you've got this breakdown in your mental health. Um, you know, when, when when will the antidepressants be finished? When will you be back out there again? When will your counselling help you to get back? Well, who knows? There's not a set, you know, six weeks of a cast and you'll be fine. There's not a set um, prescription because everybody's different. Everybody has different levels of mental health. Um, so we don't know. We can't answer that question easily. But what we can say is it is temporary and you will be better. I remember your men your mentioning Liz there. I remember a conversation I had with my dad and I'll never forget it. It's been this it's been the truest thing about mental health that I've heard anyone say. And he said to me, Son, they'll have good days and they'll have bad days and eventually there'll be better good days than yeah. bad days. More good balls from bad days that day. And that was to know. Yeah, that's the most anybody can help have in their life, isn't it? If we all have more good days than bad days, well, I think we're winning, you know? Yeah. Somebody also said to me, you know what, and I kind of put it into perspective for me, but, um, you know, people talk about, oh, I've never been troubled with mental health or whatever, you know. Actually, you know what, we all have mental health. We all have mental health. Um, and if you think about it of any day you get out of bed, and you're, if you think of mental health as being on a line, and we're in that line somewhere, we might be at the good end of mental health today, or actually tomorrow we might be somewhere down near the, the lower end of mental health, but we're all on that line somewhere. <laughs> some of us just talk about it, some of us don't, some of us just get all with, you know. But when you're at the, at the per end of mental health, 
more often than you're at the good end, you need to talk about it. You must actually seek help. You need to reach out. Yeah. It keeps it keeps me honestly awake at night, Ninda, that Northern Ireland now has the highest rate of suicide in the UK. Yeah. I was read, reading about it and I mention it on the pod quite often that Bridges and Derry and Bridges and Belfast and I have okay. certain things on them to safeguard people from from jumping off them. I, I I guess at Christmas, especially in in the context of this episode, what would you say to somebody who is in the gym right now with their earphones on or underneath their bed covers listening to this episode who are petrified of the stigma surrounding mental illness, mental health, who are telling themselves right now, I cannot fire this in a WhatsApp group. I cannot tell my mate who we go for coffee after the gym. I cannot tell my spouse, my brother, my sister, my workmate, what would you say to the person who's who's going, nah, yeah. good for you, Linda, but nah. Yeah. So. Well, for me, um, I would say you might be surprised, the reaction. You think they're going to react in a certain way, actually? You know, that's not necessarily the case. And if you cut talk to you must reach out you must talk to someone and if you can't talk to some of those people that you've mentioned some of those people that you know um do you know what there's uh so many phone lines these days where you can just phone up and speak to someone i have phoned samaritans i have phoned the samaritans like and um, it, it wasn't back then um but i i i i, I went through a, a little blip um, a few years ago, and I felt so, so, so low. And I just felt there was nobody that I could... It was late at night, and I thought, I can't phone somebody at this time of the night, you know. Um, and and the reality is, actually, any of my friends, my close friends, would have been more than happy for me to phone them at that time of the night, had they known what I was going through. Um, but I, 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 I felt that I was burdening them, you know. I felt that I was... Um, you know, that, 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 that it wasn't appropriate to phone somebody late at night. And I phoned Samaritans. And I spoke to a, a, a woman, I think somewhere in England, I don't know, you know, someone who I have no idea. I, she told me her name, I've forgotten it, but I'll never meet her again, I'm sure. Um, but she just let me talk to her. And I cried and cried and sobbed down the phone, you know. Um, and afterwards I thought, well, you know, Maybe tomorrow will be better, you know. Like, Samaritans do amazing, amazing work. And I never, ever thought I would need... I know, for me, Samaritans was for like people who are right on the edge and, and about to take their own life and can't see a way out, etc. And yes, they are, but they're also... They're also for people who have nobody else to talk to. That's why they exist. Yeah, I I definitely text one of the lines yeah. and had a similar conversation. And it was very helpful. And I had exactly the same thought. Yeah. Should I be doing this? Because actually I'm just having a really rough week. Do I need to have a serious issue here? Yeah. And find that the, the whole process to be extremely helpful. Can I move the conversation on? Then you and I know each other. Um, I said from the previous life, you and I know each other. Um, to to go both going to yeah. church at a period of time. I want to just touch on fate with you. I, I firstly want to make an omission I, yes, most people in this podcast know that I'm a Christian, but a struggling one. Only me too. Tell me about this. Somebody who's been in constant conversation, shouting matches, tantrums on my end, um, with God regarding mental health. And basically, basically the question for me for the last decade has been, why? Why? Yeah. Why? Please take this off me. Why? Stop it. Make it go away. Jimmy and the lamp Aladdin. Can I have three wishes? I just didn't want to get rid of this. Yeah. Um. And, and I guess conversation for me and God for the last 10 years, if I'm letting the entire world in, in on, is me saying to God, God, if you love me. And I mean, I did the Aussie uni, I, I understand, I get it. He, he loves us and that's amazing. And at Christmas, what an amazing message, he loves us all. But but why won't you, why won't you take this off me? Yeah. Um, basically, I, I just want to ask you, to join me in that conversation for a second mm. and yeah. just to touch on faith and mental illness and 
I mean, there are definitely times on my journey where mental illness has attempted to very closely uh, snuff my faith out and yeah. get rid of it because I yeah. just thought, you know, what are you doing here? Um, there are also times where I've lay in my bed and God, 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 if I didn't have you, I would be done for. Like, you are my anchor in this storm. Absolutely. Right now, no friend, no clothing item, no holiday, no car, no job can do it. It's you that are carrying me through. So being at both ends of the scale, you just talk for for a brief couple of minutes about your faith and your mental health story and how they collide, work together, you know, or are at odds at times. Well, yeah, um, you know, it, it is it is difficult. It is a big question, yeah. It is difficult, um, and uh, you know, like you, like I remember um, having those conversations with God way back where I was renting a flat in Chiswick in London um, and I remember lying in you know a rented room in a rented flat in a rented bed um, and just feeling I don't belong in this world anymore please God would you please take me out of it you know and, and, and just pleading with God not even at that time to take away whatever this awful thing was that I didn't know it was clinical depression at that time um, but not not even to take that away but to take me out of life right I'll, I you know I, I, a bit like you know God if you if you do love me like you say you do please take me out of this get me out of this I can't do this I can't do life anymore you know um, and just feeling so incredibly isolated and alone and I couldn't I couldn't feel God's presence, couldn't f- feel his love for me, couldn't appreciate it, you know, couldn't um, couldn't hear God, you know. It's just like uh, that barren wilderness thing, you know. I was totally alone, I thought, you know. Um, I still, you know, I do, you know, all through the years since then, I, that's the bit that kind of comes back to me, you know, lying in that room, in the flat in Chiswick and and being utterly alone. You know? Um, And I do try and and process that and try and figure it out. But, um, so where, yeah, where does faith lie with mental health? Um, I think, uh, you know, the Christian church has never been particularly good at um, dealing with mental health. And the songs that we sing, you know, it's all about the joy that we feel in, uh, uh, in our hearts, and that you know, the love and the joy, and all of these positive emotions and and words of songs and everything. You know, when you're in that dark place, those are the last things you have. They're <laughs> they're just not relevant to you. Those songs, they really are. We sing them, but we just go through the motions because that's not. It doesn't represent where we are at that time when we're in that dark, dark place, you know. Um, and I, I'm speaking from my own personal experience here, by the way. You know, it might be different for other people. Some people maybe get a, you know, great comfort, great, um, um, you know, sense of uh, hope or whatever from from their faith. I didn't at that time. I didn't. Um, and it is very hard. It's really, really difficult. And also, you know, I don't think... If you don't look at the Bible as well, you know, with the Old Testament, um, there's some people say, well, it was a new phenomenon, you know, with this cool thing about mental health. You know, there was no mental health in my day. Well, actually, you know, look back at so many of those people in the Bible who um, probably called it their soul was downcast or something. Actually, they probably were st- struggling with mental health. You know, we call it what it is. Um, you don't need to look at the Psalms of David and how angry he was with God at times um, and how he felt totally alone and isolated as enemies were against him, etc. Um, when it always comes around to God in the end, at the end, you know, where, where he says, but God, you're my rock, you're my strength. Um, but when you're in that place, that's very hard to, it's about getting that hope back, isn't it? It's very hard to see that. Um, but there's so many other people. I mean, you look at, um, was it Elijah who sat under a broom tree and said, God, take my life? What was me? You know, I said the same thing, you know, um, just in a bed. And she's like, not under a broom tree. 
I did. De- I've definitely sat in prayer meetings, and I think I've said this on our podcast before. I've definitely sat in prayer meetings before, and thought to myself, when it comes to me, I just want to say, you know, you've maybe said something about one of your friends or a country or something, and it's come to me. I just want to say, guys, I I feel it should today. I just yeah. want you to pray. For yeah. And I'm not going to say the church doesn't do that. I think we should probably be better at allowing people the yeah. safety. Yes. Yes. Just to be. Yes, just to Ab- be where you are. Absolutely. I think that, that's where I'm extremely passionate. And I, and I guess as a Christian, I would love to be able to say, well, this is an example publicly. I am a Christian and I feel like shit some days. Exactly. Both are, both are true. Yeah. They're, they're, they can both be true at the same time. Yeah. I think we need to be, be better at that. Then I could talk to you for... You just, I am. Me too. I knew it. I love it. We haven't even touched the surface. You know, there's so much more I want to say. But um, <laughs> I want to ask you just, just as we think about closing. Um, when I'm listening to you speak, I'm thinking I would love to hear like Linda read a book called Linda's um, Mental Health Survival Kit. <laughs> so I've just completely given you that idea. So you can mention me in the, the service. Perfect. Um, can you? Just as we close, aware it's Christmas, aware it's a time when when maybe people are under the covers, they are feeling a shit, yeah. and they feel like, oh no, I'm at a party, I'm going for a coffee, I'm going Christmas shopping, I need to pull myself out of this. Can can you just give me, if, if we were at our first book yeah, planning meaning, and me and you were just scribbling down some ideas. If you were thinking Linda's mental health survival guide, can you tell me roughly what mm-hmm. some of the main what some of the main uh, chapter titles would be? How to get through Christmas in your very own Christmas survival mental health guide? Yeah, well, I think uh, you know it's crucial to talk to somebody, and don't think that taking your own life is the way out. It's not. It's, you know, it's a cliche now because we hear all the time it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem, you know. And, 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 and again, you know, some people say what a selfish thing to do. It's not selfish because actually you're not yourself whenever you're in that space. Um, but, uh, you know, as someone who, who's had friends who've taken their own lives, uh, I, I just know the, the, the void that is left there, the empty space. And um, you know, around the table, the 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 hole that is there when someone dies, you know, and it's all it's awful. Um, you're loved. You're actually loved. You know, we're not good at saying I love you in uh, this country. You know, we're big Northern Ireland people. We don't do that soppy thing. But you know what? Um, you are loved. Um, loved beyond um anything you could even imagine. Um, and I just think it's so important to tell somebody that you love them. Tell somebody that they matter to you. Um, and you might need to be the one to start that conversation, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I didn't know we were moving on to chapter headings quite so quickly, Steve. We haven't even had a planning meeting yet. About what about Christmas self-care? Christmas self-care? Christmas self-care. Christmas self-care? Look up there yeah. yourself. How do you, well, I'm giving you my answers on both. <laughs> Whatever it is you do to to make yourself feel safe when things have become too much. Yeah. And um, yeah. Uh, so what I do is um, I try and remain social. Um, and I don't mean on social media because that's a killer. Like social media is not right for your mental health or anything. Um, for me, I need to get out to my garden. I need to get out to nature and to go for a walk. But it's much better if you can get a walk with somebody. Go for a walk and talk with somebody um you know there's an idea why we and you know as an extension to your podcast and we give you this and um, you start up this you know walk with me you know walk with someone and talk with someone at the same time because you don't have to look them in the eye when you're walking do you and that's hard for some people you know walk and talk with someone and 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 just spill tell them how you're feeling it doesn't have to be um you know, it's just, it's, it's about engaging with people, I think. So certainly engage with people, but um, I think that, that that's my self-care thing for, for, for Christmas. Still engage with people, but give yourself downtime as well. 
you know, maybe um, like before you arrived tonight, I was sitting here reading a book and listening to some music. I haven't done that for such a long time, you know, um, because it's just it's, it's something that's really so much you can do with a broken arm. And so sitting down, I'm kind of forced to sit down and, and, and read a book or whatever or watch Netflix or whatever. And, you know, you've got to get the feel good back again. Um, and I think you do that by, yeah, self-care is very, very important. Um, do what makes you happy. You know, it might be going for coffee. It might be go to the gym. You know, we know that Link now is proven with the, um, you know, what, what what the gym does to you in terms of getting those endorphins flowing. Um, so for me, it's going out to nature and getting a walk. For you, it might be something else. It might be, I don't know, doing Sudoku or, yeah, pumps and walk, you know, spending time with dogs. And do you know what I think is something that's actually very underrated when it comes to mental health? Do something for somebody else. And you go, you know, go volunteer. Maybe go to the homeless shelter or something like that and ask if you can volunteer there. Go to the um, CC Animal Sanctuary and see if you can volunteer there. They're always looking for people to, you know, take dogs out for walks or whatever. Give back to your community. That's a proven and thing as well, where, you know, again, you get that feel-good thing coming in. Um, so there we are. There's a couple of. I've got a charge for you, Linda. Oh, go on. As well as a book. Like, and a book. <laughs> but I just thought the challenge for you for Christmas, and this is something that I'm going to do, and I think you should do it. Yeah. And any listener as well. I think you should eat a selection box for breakfast someday. <laughs> someday in the next couple of weeks. Now, I, like, I get very easy to do that. I don't think our listeners... Like you, you have completely let up with that 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 opportunity, but like I almost want you to like send me a WhatsApp of like the picture of like it can be one of those ones from Powerland that just has the wee mini things, or it can be it like be a old one that's like a fiber yeah. and you're just eating it all. Yeah, but it needs to be like a four nine o'clock. At four nine a.m. I can do that. Can I have it with my morning gallon of coffee? Hundred percent. Oh, definitely. I've several. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And then, hey, what are you getting for Christmas? I am going to get um. I don't know. I, I like surprises. Oh. So anyone that's got me in Secret Santa or like, they'll kind of look at me and go, oh, he sports Liverpool and he loves coffee. So I'll get him a mug. And I'm like, come on, take that. I know. I'm sorry. No, yeah. No, uh, no um, offense to anyone that's bought me a mug. Um, but yeah, I just like, I like my prizes. I like someone to have paid attention to me for 12 months and then gone to a shop and gone, you know what? I heard him say I wanted. I really like a new laptop or something. Two weeks to the Caribbean. <clears throat> yeah. Um, then I, I just want to thank you for this conversation. I, we've we've done this podcast for about 12 months, and this has probably felt like to me just having a coffee with you and people sort of listening in. So I just want to thank you for that. Um, thank you so much. Yeah. I've really loved it. It comes to my mind is, I don't know if you've got this really annoying app, and it's called Be Real. And, um, what do you have to be real? Yeah. Basically, the idea is it will annoy you at a random time yeah. of the day when your hair is a mess and you haven't got makeup on. When yeah. you, you know, you could be eating a selection box and it tells you to take a photo of them. Yeah. Um, I actually think it says a lot about mental health because when I had be real, I since deleted it, I would set so, right. things up. Yeah. I would set things up. I would be like, uh, you know, just, to, just recording a podcast here. Um, but I actually think it said a lot to me about my own mental health that actually what you've said tonight, that, you know, be being real and being honest and being true about how you feel and yeah. and feeling safe to talk about your mental health is something that can can give us all a better Christmas when we're all honest with each other. And I love that line from that James Bay song. And it's been in my head since we've been chatting. And it just says, why don't you be you? And, yeah. And I'll be me. Yeah. I love it. And I just love that. I have deleted my Be Real as well because it does pop up at random inappropriate rounds. Huh? I'm not ready for it. When, no. it, when it annoys me, I'm, you know, I'm clearly I've got my makeup form or something, you know, or when I'm not busy doing something, you know, like cooking over a stove or whatever. And, and um, it's just doesn't, it'll, it'll come and, and, and it's, you've only got five, you know, X number of times left to do your Be Real and, and it gives you a countdown and it, it's like such pressure. So I got rid of it too. Yeah. I thought, you're not my friend. Yes. Yeah. Linda, well, thank you for being on uh, the, this Christmas uh, edition of Here's the Thing. I just want to say to anybody that's listening who is struggling with their mental health, please, at Christmas, um, reach out, talk to somebody. 
I loved what Linda said earlier on that you just might be surprised at the response. I have to say in 2023, I am so grateful. There are so many people on the end of phones who received my struggles with love and kindness and safety. So from the here's the thing um, team, we just want to say uh, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to Linda. Thank you for um, supporting our podcast this year. Um, we just want to remind you that mental illness is not the end of their, your story. And um, there's so much more to come for you and for me. Right. So let's say have a peaceful Christmas. <laughs>